Thank you for joining us for our Renewal City Church podcast. If you're looking for ways to get involved, join us on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. at the Roxy Theater in Longview. Or find us online at rcclongview.org. We hope you're blessed and that this message finds you well. I know it seemed like I moved from one place to another just by magic, but yeah, it took some effort. All right, so um, we've been talking out of of the book of Acts, and one of the most important experiences that the church ever had was in the book of Acts when the Holy Spirit came 50 days after Jesus ascended into heaven. He promised that he would leave with the church counselor, and that counselor would empower them to spread the gospel all over the known world. So the kind of the exciting thing is that because the Roman Empire was really at its height at this point, the church was already, so I say church, but I, I, I mean more the followers of God, the Jewish people have, had already started to scatter around uh, the known world. And because of that, each year, these believers, these Jewish people that had been actually displaced all around the region would make their way back into Jerusalem for these festivals. And it was right around the time of Jesus' death that you had a huge population of people end up back in Jerusalem. And then Jesus comes onto the scene. He shakes up the whole deal. And this, this whole crucifixion, the whole idea of what do we do now, um, the apostles, the people that had been following Jesus, it, it shakes up the whole, um, the whole story. And so you have this whole group of people now that has been following Christ, and they've found themselves in Jerusalem, and no one really wants to leave. They're kind of waiting around for the Holy Spirit to come, because Jesus had promised that. And by necessity, these people start sharing all of their possessions and doing everything together. They really start this, what, what the, Acts, the book of Acts calls this fellowship of believers. And in this, because um, this amazing event of the Holy Spirit had come and fallen upon the people, the disciples of Christ really believed that this fall of the Holy Spirit, this empowerment of the Holy Spirit was just that, an empowerment to go out and preach the gospel to all of the people around that area. So the story that they were really telling was that God was now for everyone. And this was a new concept, right? Because it wasn't just the Jewish people or the people that were, that had a lineage that they could trace back to Abraham, but that God was really going to be for all of the nations and all of the peoples of the world. And so there was this huge spread from Jude into Gentile, this new message that was being preached. And so um, a lot of crazy things happen through the book of um, Acts with the, the sending of the Holy Spirit. But then because these guys are getting like this incredible amount of faith to go out and preach the gospel... What's happening is now there's a, a bunch of religious leaders um, that don't like what's happening. 
They don't want them spreading this new gospel. It's exciting to us, right? We love talking about the gospel and the spread of the gospel, but there was a, a, a huge population of Jewish people, the ones that essentially killed the Christ, right? <laughs> that they didn't want this gospel to spread because this was like a bad thing that was happening. Imagine from Israel's history that there had been many times and seasons where the people of God had given themselves over to other gods and everything that they had learned in their teaching from the point that they were little kids said, you're not supposed to serve any God but Yahweh, right? And then Jesus comes onto the scene and reveals right before his death that he himself is God. And so this feels very uh, divisive. This feels very uh, counterintuitive to the things that they knew and believed. And so when he's saying that he's God, and now this huge population of people start following him as God, the religious leaders of the day are thinking, well, we have uh, kind of a real bad thing happening to our faith here, right? And so as a result, they killed Jesus And then some of the disciples that had been spreading this gospel even after Jesus' death, specifically one in chapter 7 of the book of Acts, his name's Stephen, they kill Stephen um, by stoning him because he's he's spreading this message now that God is for everyone. This is a a very, um, uh, it's a very like aggressive message to the religious leaders. So after Stephen is stoned in Jerusalem proper, what happens is many of the people that were uh, disciples of Christ or the ones that were spreading the gospel, they start to scatter out into different parts of that area, okay? So there's a city by the name of Samaria. There's a city in, uh, called Judea. Um, there's Gaza that's in the south. But there's, there's areas kind of surrounding Jerusalem proper, that um, the apostles are kind of there and everybody has gathered there, remember, from the festivals that they've come back to. But because it's now becoming very dangerous for them to be a believer and to spread the gospel in Jerusalem proper, they start going into these other areas. And that's kind of where we pick up our story this week in Acts chapter 8. So after Stephen is stoned, um, he actually... um, So there's a man by the name of Philip that's going to take this gospel into Samaria. So he goes into Samaria, he casts out demons, he prays for paralyzed people to walk, he baptizes people. In fact, there was even a magician, so you're, you're seeing the tie, all right? So there's a magician in Samaria that um, believes in what Philip is talking about, and he wants to be baptized. And So word starts to spread that, man, things are really lighting up in Samaria, and this is getting exciting. And so they send word back to Jerusalem for Peter and John to come pray over Samaria that they would receive the Holy Spirit, just like had happened in Jerusalem. And so they do. They come. Peter and John come to Samaria. They start laying hands on people. And the Holy Spirit comes upon these people. And this event is an, a really amazing one. If you haven't read much about it, it it's it, it, the beginning of Acts. And what's happening is these people start speaking. And they're speaking in 
a language that they can all understand. Why is that significant? Well, remember, they've been scattered all around the world, right? And they've come back for the feasts, but they're not all from the same place. They don't all speak the same language. And so to have an instance where everybody's speaking and they're understanding one another, this is like a big deal. And we could probably look back on that instance and say, man, this sounds like God reuniting the people of God to all be connected as one again, right? Not to be divided, but connected as one. And so after Peter and John come to pray over these people in Samaria, the magician that had been baptized by Philip goes back to Philip and he goes, man, I'm watching these guys get hands laid on them and they're like getting this power. And, I, and you can see it's palpable. I want the power to be able to lay hands on people and have them receive this same kind of power. That sounds good, right? I mean, like, if you read this, like, the Bible's funny how these stories, like, lay out because it's not a huge passage of Scripture, but, man, he gets immediately rebuked. And, and Philip's like, you've totally missed the point. You're just wanting to do this for your own gain, and you're wanting to make this a magic trick, right? You're wanting to be something like a sideshow. You're wanting to have something that you can profit from, but you've missed the whole idea. The, the, the spirit descending on the, the church is not for your personal gain. The spirit descending on the church is so that the gospel of Jesus can spread through the known world, right? And so he gets rebuked. And it's really kind of sad. I don't know if uh, he ever had to experience the Holy Spirit or not, but he gets rebuked. And, and then the story kind of takes a turn. So Philip ends up going back to Jerusalem after this, um, a- after this whole thing in Samaria happens. And God speaks to Philip very clearly. And he, and he tells him that he wants to go into this new region. Now, remember, we had some geography. We want to kind of get our geography straight, right? Because we've got Jerusalem that kind of sits here in the center. And then to the north of Jerusalem is Samaria, right? And then to the south is a place called Gaza. And if you've ever seen on a map like the Mediterranean Sea, Gaza's kind of down towards the Mediterranean Sea. And imagine Gaza is like on your way to Africa, okay? So the people that are heading down into Egypt, would kind of go through that region. It's kind of a deserty type region. Okay, so just put that kind of geography in your head. We're going to read out of Acts chapter 8, verses 26 through 40. It says this, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go to the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and he went. And there was an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He'd come to Jerusalem to worship, remember, coming back to Jerusalem for these festivals. So he's an Ethiopian that believes in Yahweh, but he's come back for the festivals, right? And now he's heading back to Africa, right? And so he's come... In, into the into Jerusalem to worship, verse 28. And as he was returning, he was seated in his chariot, and he was reading from the prophet Isaiah. 
And the spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet, and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And so Philip um, goes and sits by him. And the passage of scripture that he was reading was like a sheep. He was led to the slaughter. This is Isaiah. This is the Old Testament, right? But he's, but he's reading these words, and he's trying to understand, get some context about what Isaiah is trying to say. So, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. The eunuch said to Philip, we're going to read on, verse 34. About whom, I ask, does the prophet say this? Is this about himself or is it about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth and he began with the scripture. He told the good news of Jesus. So empowered by the Holy Spirit, Philip is now spreading the gospel to this guy, telling him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down to the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the spirit carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself in Azotus, and he passed through, preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. So I want you to think about this for a second. A eunuch is a servant of, of royalty, okay? And, it, and we got a lot of kids in the service, so I'm just going to be careful about what I say, okay? But imagine that they would often change these eunuchs' bodies. Are you, are you tracking? So that they were safe around, like, the king's women, Okay, so you're, you're tracking. Okay, um, and because these eunuchs were forced to, to change their bodies, they wouldn't have been welcome in the temple. So here he's come back to Jerusalem to take part in these feasts, um, but he's kind of found himself, in a sense, on the outside even, right? And they, they wouldn't have been allowed into the inner court of the temple and there was a lot of sacrifices that were made, but it's long and complicated. We'll get into that at a different time. But he wouldn't have been allowed into the inner court. And I asked this question at the beginning of, of the talk that, is God really for everyone? And I think in our day and age, when we, we're seeing all sorts of different things happen in our world, this is a, a difficult question to answer even for us sometimes. Because we get this feeling in our faith that as we go along in the things that we have learned about Jesus and we have experienced in our own uh, personal walk with him, that we get this idea that, like, man, God is really for the church and God is really for the people that, that believe in him. But as I read the scriptures, I really find that God is really for those that don't know him. He makes this real effort and a real pursuit after people that would seemingly be discarded by other people in the same faith. 
And it becomes really easy to find these stories where God is being very intentional about, about going after those that don't seemingly belong. And so in this question that, that we're asking this, this morning, is God really for everyone? I think it's a nice thing that we have at Renewal City Church, this, this phrase, Jesus is for everyone. Right? That's not something that just happened by accident, but something that when this church was first founded, right, what was it, like 10 years ago or something like that was planted, that this, this idea is Jesus really for everyone came up in that conversation, and, and the answer was yes, Jesus really is for everyone. But interestingly enough, even in this, this story in the book of Acts chapter 8, you have this eunuch, you have this magician, you have, uh, actually, at the beginning of chapter 8, you have Saul, who becomes Paul, right, that's like out killing all of these Christians. You've got Samaritans coming to know the Christ. Samaritans, if you know anything about Scripture, are these half-breed people. They've been, like, um, the Jews that were left over in exiles had kind of breeded with people from the surrounding areas becoming Samaritans. And so Samaria is like a whole town outside of Jerusalem that has a bunch of, like, to the Jewish people, a bunch of half-breeds, right? And people that don't belong. And here, the gospel is spreading, right? Like a wildfire after the Holy Spirit descends in the book of Acts. And who is it that is receiving the gospel? It's the rejects. I mean, all the rejects. The people that you would say don't belong in this family. And yet, here we are, and it's the unclean that are, are becoming clean. It's the broken that are being restored. The, the Ethiopian eunuch is traveling, and he's trying to understand this whole message. And Philip is able to translate for him that this message that he's reading out of the book of Isaiah is no accident. And... It is indeed about the Christ that loves him and wants to save him. Do you know, just three chapters later in the book of Isaiah, this is, this is so cool how the story of God just kind of comes together like this. Because three chapters later out of the book of Isaiah, this is, this is what it says. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast to my covenant. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. That's so cool. Like, I mean, here he is like, trying to get his head around this whole thing. And it's actually out of that like same scroll, that same passage out of Isaiah, where God has promised years before that eunuchs have a place in the kingdom of God. And the eunuch who had probably been separated and felt that sense of separation, even when he came back to Jerusalem, has a place in the kingdom of God. And Philip is there to reveal that to him. So the last question that we have to ask this morning, is teleportation possible, right? So is it or not, right? Did you guys miss it when I was reading it from the story? Did you, did you, did you catch it? It was in there, right? When Philip 
baptizes the eunuch, when he goes down into the water, let's go back and read it, because I think it's important for us to see it. So when he goes back into the water, he says, well, we'll start with this. He says, what, what prevents me from being baptized? So there's the water right there. Like, I want to be a part of this. I, I want to be a part of this people of Jesus, you know, these followers of Jesus. I want to be baptized. I want to be changed. And I want to be a part of this family. So commands the chariot to stop. They both go down to the water. When they came up out of the water, listen to this carefully. The spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. And the eunuch saw him no more. And, the, and we, we could kind of blaze over this, but the spirit carried Philip away, and he ends up in a town called Azotus. Do you know where Azotus is? It's 20 miles away. So yeah, teleportation is possible, right? And this is really exciting. So if you remember back to the story of Elijah where God takes Elijah and he's just like carried up into heaven. This is a really similar type story. And it's amazing because God is able to do things beyond our imagination, beyond the the laws of physics and the laws of the things that we think are possible. And Philip just like baptizes this guy and then disappears, ends up in a different town and just goes along preaching like it's not a big deal. I I love that. (laughs) Like you don't get Philip's perspective, but I'd love to hear that story of just like, oh, I'm in Azotus. How did I get to Azotus? Well, I'll just keep talking about Jesus. Maybe there's people that need to know about him here. You know, I don't know. But I, I think it's incredible that we serve a God and that we're part of a kingdom that wants to be inclusive of all generations of all peoples and wants to go after them with a fierce and direct love to include them to be a part of the body of Christ. I'm going to ask um, Joel and, and Danny if they would come back up. We're going we're gonna to take part in communion together here in just a moment. Um, but just for the sake of the teaching and the morning and, and, and the things that we're talking about, I want you to consider this idea Okay, that in the communion, so I'll use even a word where it's kind of derivative of the the term communion, this idea, this idea of community, that Jesus takes, um, he takes a, he takes a, 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 a practice that the people of God had been doing for thousands of years to remember when the death angel passes over the people in Egypt. He takes this, um, this symbol, this, this uh, I'm kind of struggling for the word here, but he takes this event and he changes it to be about himself. And every time we take communion, I just kind of get this little flash of the table and the people sitting around the table <laughs> And I think to myself, like, what a, what a crew, you know, that Jesus had. You know, he's got, like, Peter, who's just a hothead. He's got a guy that, like, is really doesn't believe anything unless he sees it. He's got a tax collector. He's got a zealot who hates tax collectors and wants to kill tax collectors. <laughs> and, and it's like just a crew of guys that don't fit. Like, they don't belong together. And that's the picture that we have as our backdrop for this table that represents our family. 
And sometimes when we think about church or we think about Christianity, we think about the, the faith, the people of God, we want this to look a certain way. We want, we want it to be packaged very nicely and very cleanly. We want people to dress like a Christian, act like a Christian. We want, we want this idea of a, you know, a very clean gospel. But the truth is, God was very intentional to go after those that maybe didn't look, act, sound like us. And I think about this um, in this, just this picture I get when we, we take part in the table. And I realized this morning, like, we're primarily, we look, act, and talk about a lot the same. So I'm not saying, like, we're this, like, huge, diverse group of, of people that, you know, is is odd. But I would, I would ask that if you would just for a moment just kind of envision someone that you don't think you would be comfortable sitting at the table with. Just as a practice, before we, before we take part in this communion together, this celebration of the death and the resurrection of Jesus, where he comes to sacrifice his life for the forgiveness of sins once and for all, if you wouldn't mind, just maybe even just close your eyes and I just want you to imagine like, Who's somebody that I just maybe, I, I would not feel comfortable sitting right next to them at the table. Maybe it's because, well, maybe it's because they don't do the things that you do. Maybe it's because they don't act the way that you do. And then I want you to imagine with me. I want you to imagine the Christ pulling out the chair for that person and inviting them to sit. Because listen, this is not our this is not all our responsibility. I, I think that God is the one that pursues, God is the one that changes lives, God is the one that saves people from their sin. I want you just to imagine that God is this one that, you know, for the person that you just, you can't do it. He's the one that pulls out the chair, invites them to sit down, to take part in a meal. Guys, that's what we're connected to. We're connected to a God that pulled the chair out for all humanity. It said about the temple, I'm going to tear this thing down and rebuild it in three days in myself. I'm going to be the place where people would come to find forgiveness of sin. I'm going to be the place where people are going to come to encounter the God that loves them. I'm going to be that outpost. And then God said to us, I want you to be that city with me. I want you to be that city on a hill, that one whose light would never go out. And that light would shine for all people to see. The guys are going to play a couple more songs. And, you know, 
Sometimes you take communion um, individually. Sometimes you take it as a family. But I would just invite you guys this morning. We're we're going to wrap up a little earlier today than we typically do. But I, I would just invite you to take a moment in these last two songs to maybe find some people that um, maybe that you know or you don't know and, and to pray with them. And to use this table as an opportunity to just say, God, we're grateful for what you've done for us. Would you show us in your, in your blood, in your body that was broken, would you show us who we can put our arms around? So Jesus, we do. We, we pray for that this morning. Lord, we're just, man, we take a moment to just pause and think about so many people, God, around the world that are hurting and that don't feel like they belong at any table. And God, I just would pray that you would open up our eyes to see those that that don't feel like they belong. And God, that you would give us words, that you would give us wisdom how to invite them to sit with us. We would be a people that would open up our arms. Lord, that that message of Christ would resonate in us in that same spirit that came in the book of Acts to empower the people of God to spread the gospel would be active in us. That you would empower us to go and to preach the good news of Christ. We love you. All this is for you.